CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It is Tuesday, June 25th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, In These Times writer Miles Kompflassen will join us. And we welcome back our favorite grassroots organizer, the one, the only, Amisha Patel. Now your host, Chicago Reader columnist back from California, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this, oh, those Dems Tuesday. And here's why. Great weekend. You have a good weekend, D? (laughs) Yeah, great weekend. It was great. Certainly a long weekend, as uh, the doctor said. I uh, took we took two days off. We closed down the show. Although you were working like a busy little beaver last week, you came in on Friday, I think, and Thursday while I was uh, uh, jet setting in California. Went to visit my daughter in California. So uh, took a couple days off and had a great time. Let's see, I saw a movie when I was in California. Saw a movie, uh, uh, The Dead Don't Die. If you like uh, zombie movies, go see the zombie movies. Pretty good flick. Everybody in California, just like everybody in Chicago that I know, is talking about uh, Quentin Tarantino's movie, eagerly counting down the days uh, to uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood comes out. So uh, Chicago and California have that in common. Uh, flipped out over scooters. Apparently scooters are a problem in L.A. like they are in the city of Chicago. Scooters are absolutely everywhere. Oh, by the way, watch out for my scooter. I oh, left it here out. in the studio. I rode a scooter <laughs> here today. Scooters everywhere. I love it. Really? You, you, I, I'm having a hard time. You see time my scooter over there, right? Come on. That looks like a knapsack. Oh, but uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, scooters everywhere in California, scooters everywhere in the city of Chicago. I can go on and on about scooters, but I'm going to hold off for the moment. Uh, let's see. Bought myself a souvenir, everybody, when I was in California. Oh, nice souvenir. I mean, you could get that here. I knew you were going to say that. Yo, Dennis was going to say, Doesn't, oh, why would you get a notebook in California if you can get a notebook in Cal- in Chicago? Doesn't say California, Lakers, nothing on it. No, it says composition book. Uh, I bought it. It was just, you know, it was a dollar store in Sunset Boulevard. I go, you know what? I need a new notebook. So I bought a notebook when I was in California. How about, and a pen. By the way, anybody needs pens? I got more pens. Oh, man. Uh, very exciting life you lead. <laughs> productive time for me in california i did what i always do talk politics and here's the thing about me folks i'm addicted to politics i can go to any state any city any town and engage myself in a political discussion with somebody i meet uh generally a a politician who's seeking votes and that's exactly what happened i was at this farmer's market on sunday d 
Uh, and uh, my wife and my daughter and her friends were all shopping for fruits and vegetables. It was kind of boring. You know, I'm not really into farmer's markets. So what I did was I found my way to this can- congressional candidate, this obscure congressional candidate in California, running against Adam Schiff. He's run three times. Sal Genovese. Sal, if you're listening, I told you I'd give hey, you Sal. a shout-out. Uh, and uh, Sal is more of like a conservative Democrat, all right? Uh, so he is more of the conservative persuasion of the Democratic Party, kind of a little to the, like, Joe Biden country, if you will. And he's running against Adam Schiff, who's leading the crusade uh, against uh, Donald Trump, potentially an impeachment hearing. So I'm kind of an Adam Schiff fan. And uh, so anyway, uh, uh, Sal Genovese and I got into this discussion right there in the middle of the farmer's market. <laughs> and folks, it kind of reminded me of conversations I've had in the city of Chicago all the time. Because I ask people, I just question people, it's this instinct to have, why do you behave the way that you do? Why do you as a voter behave the way you do? And like the city of Chicago, I'm always making fun of people in the city of Chicago, D, because they're so tolerant of politicians that don't do the things that they want, waste money, raise taxes, throw away millions of dollars of frivolous tiff deals and they go oh i'm so outraged and then they vote for the same guy again and again i do not understand the mentality of chicago well maybe it's not just chicago it's i had this d- discussion debate with sal genovese so it started off with sal saying maybe we shouldn't spend so much time fighting donald trump and because you know trump act did get elected and i said well actually technically sal he was not uh, the victor in the last election he got less votes than hillary clinton and he said well ben we have the electoral college system to protect the interests of the smaller states and i said sal you live in California, the largest state in the union. What do you care about the interests of smaller states? You should care about California. And then, you know, so now we're in an argument. He has to defend his position. So what does he do? He does what most voters do when they uh, don't know what to say. They blame it on the founding fathers. He goes, well, the founding fathers wanted this protection in the Constitution, so that's why we have it. To which I said the founding fathers also believed in slavery. Should we keep slavery around? The founding fathers didn't let women vote. Should we continue to deny women the right of votes? So what did he do at that point, D? He changed the subject, which is what everybody does when you get them in a corner. Uh, nice to see you made friends out there. <laughs> he goes, well, Ben, we can never pass it anyway, so what's the point of trying? There you go. That's a defeatist. By the way, then I, I had to point out to him, just one more time, You know, now I'm on a tangent here within a tangent, but just want to say, there are about 35 million voters in uh, the state of California. They have 55 electoral votes. Uh, in uh, the state of Wyoming, there are like, I don't know, 532,000 or so voters. They have three electoral college votes. So that means I did the math. There's 177 voters for every electoral vote, uh, electoral uh, representative in Wyoming and 667,000 per one electoral voter in w- California. How is that fair? All right. So I'm not saying it's going to be easy to change the electoral college system. I'm not saying that Democrats should at this moment put everything aside and uh, take on that fight. Although I will say this, David Ferris is right. Political scientist David Ferris is right. If the Republican Party had lost two elections in this century, uh, because even though they won the popular vote, as the Democrats have, because of the Electoral College, they would have already were halfway through changing the system because the difference between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party is that the Republicans 
play to win, and the Democrats run around, I don't know, just to make friends. Anyway, it's hard to win, folks, when you don't fight to win. We got a great show today, everybody. Uh, Miles, Conf last will be in here in these times. Uh, Maya, people go, where's Maya? Maya couldn't make it this week. She'll be back next week. Miles Conf was very kind enough to sit in for Maya. Amisha Patel will be here from uh, Grassroots Collaborative, our favorite community organizer. Guess what, D? What's that? She's bringing a mystery guest. You're kidding me. Oh, mystery guest will be coming in. We've talked about all the issues of the day, national issues, local issues, state issues, Probably talk about. Uh, I'll probably ask Miles what he thinks about the electoral college. Oh, do system. it, do it. You yeah, know? ask him. I'll say, hey, Miles, what do you think about my conversation with oh, Sal Genovese, who's running against Adam Schiff uh, in California? So we got a lot of political talk ahead of us. But before we do that, the doctors got the news. Ben, did you say there was a mystery guest oh, today? Oh yeah, it's a mystery guest, man. Oh wow, Misha's bringing in a mystery guest. Ooh. Whoa, who could it be? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I may know. But I'm not revealing. Okay, so you know. It may be All Sal right. Genovese. <laughs> People, this is not a pre-recording. It's not a bonus or a best stuff. No, we're live and we're back at it. Still not a doctor, by the way. Okay. Uh, ben took the red eye home from California. He's operating on fumes this afternoon. But don't worry, listeners, because Ben Jarofsky barely getting any sleep is <laughs> business as usual here on the program. Really has become a staple. I've got at least one hour uh, sleep last night, D, all right? <laughs> There's some guy talking behind me on the on the red eye to, to his son. Uh, explaining how you exit an airplane, but he was like, really, I think it was his son's first time on an airplane. So I kept. Yeah, that's your cue that. to go to sleep. <laughs> He's like, well, what you do is when every when the plane lands, everybody's gonna stand up and walk down the aisle. He's explaining the, the technicalities. Okay, Dad. So let's talk about the national news happening this afternoon. Hey, Donald Trump, uh, let's take a chill pill on those uh, tweets to Iran. Could we please? <laughs> so the Iranian military downed an unmanned drone that they claimed had entered Iranian airspace last week. After which President Trump signed another round of sanctions directly targeting Iran's supreme leader. Yeah, it didn't take long for Iranian President Hassan Rouhani to respond. He called the new sanctions, quote, outrageous and idiotic and suggest the administration was, and, well, no one said you can't dislike both of these people, quote, <laughs> afflicted by mental retardation for imposing them. Rua said, quote, uh, you sanctioned the foreign minister simultaneously with the request for talks? Now, there once was a time when a United States president would at least try to grab the bull by the horns here and settle this like a grown man, you know, maybe a behind-closed-doors private discussion over the phone or something. But, people, that time is so far gone because it's 2019, Donald Trump is president, and now, well, Ben, we threaten our political enemies on social media for the whole world to see. Today, President Donald Trump sent another series of threatening tweets aimed at the Iranian regime, saying any attack by Iran or anything American will be met with great and overwhelming force. And in some areas, overwhelming will mean obliteration. No more John Kerry and Obama. Yeah, I for, for, that has uh, brought up a good point when uh, about an hour or so ago when we were talking about this news, that somehow or other, uh, Donald Trump does not lose his access to his Twitter feed, even though he uses it to threaten an entire country with obliteration. Meanwhile, some dude working at Arby's like <laughs> threatens a customer and gets yeah, kicked you know, off. Yeah, all that. You can't do that. Kick him <laughs> off. The, he just threatened a co- whole country with obliteration. And and the, the reality of Donald Trump, 
let's face it, folks, three years in, is that nobody knows what's true with Donald Trump. He lies continually. He lies just reflectively. reflectively. Uh, so he says one thing one day, and he completely contradicts himself the next day. So there's really no set, there's no there's no way to really ascertain what he really feels. In the case of foreign affairs, foreign policies, he's always engaging in these Twitter fights with these powerful people. Remember the one with North Korea? I think the North Korean leader called also called Donald Trump uh, mentally retarded as well. So it's like these wild exchanges on Twitter or wild exchanges. I don't know if the North Korean leader goes on Twitter, but these wild exchanges between Donald Trump and these foreign leaders, and then they sort of settle down. And then, then he becomes pals with them. I don't know if he's going to become pals with the Iranian, uh, the, the leaders of Iran. But it's hard to it's hard to figure out what exactly the foreign policy is. And overall, I have to say, I think most Americans have stopped listening, D. And it's kind of scary. I mean, we're t- you know you're talking about threats of nuclear obliteration. It was the same thing in North Korea. But you heard so much of it, it never it never materializes. He always seems to back off. So people just tune him out. I I, uh, I think that may be the greatest danger. Nobody knows whether they can trust the guy because he lies continually, and nobody really pays attention to what he says because he's so outrageous and extreme. But I do believe it is Twitter's got to rethink their policies that the president of the United States can go on Twitter to threaten Iran with obliteration. But you're right, the guy from Arby's, uh, <laughs> they're really policing that guy really closely. Yeah, not so much this guy. No collusion. But that dude from Arby's, get out of here, would you? All right, so uh, who knows what the hell will happen after this, or if the Iranian president can even read what the tweet said. Does he know English? Can he read English? No, I but don't it's, know. it's a very bizarre situation. I mean, when I when I take the deep dive uh, into the United States relationships with Iran right now, it's so bizarre because Iran is uh, an ally with Russia. And so here we have Putin, the head of Russia, is, is Trump's personal ally. He intervened in the election in 2016 to deliver it to Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump is still maintains a friendly relationship with Putin, uh, and yet they have they, he's at war, uh, a war of words with Iran, which is Putin's ally. None of this makes any sense at all. Maybe I don't know if that's the logic to Donald Trump's reign uh, as a foreign policy leader. Then it's really working. But I think most people are just tuning. In. In fact, the Sun Times there, there's these threats of nuclear obliteration, and it was on page. Uh, where was it? Oh, here we're page 17 of the Sun-Times. Trump hits Iran at the top. I mean, after a while, you just tune it out. Right ahead above a headline that says, Trump, woman who accused him of salt, not his type. Did you see this one, D? Mm. This, is, this one is, um, th- this is a journalist from the 1990s. Uh, e. Jean Carroll is her name. And she came out with, with an accusation uh, against Donald Trump. Uh, that he attempted to rape her, and I'm going to quote it right here. Writer E. Jean Carroll has claimed that a friendly encounter with Trump at Bergdorf Goodman in 1995 or 96 turned violent when the real estate mogul pushed her up against a dressing room wall, unzipped his pants, and forced himself on her. Carroll said that in a colossal struggle, she pushed him off and ran from the store. Uh, t- Trump told the Hill newspaper that Carroll is, quote, quote, totally lying about the accusation, which he also denied earlier. Quote, I know nothing about this woman. I know nothing about her. She is. It's just a terrible thing that people can make statements like that. And then she said, besides, uh, it, she's not, quote, she's not my type. So very weird. This was... This, this story is buried on page 17 right underneath the Iranian story. It just shows you that there's just this uh, 
uh, unreal world that we inhabit with Donald Trump as our president. It's hard to believe, but luckily there are still a few uh, sane people left in American government. A pair of congressmen have unveiled a bipartisan measure to block President Trump taking military action against Iran without congressional approval. An amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act being proposed by Democrat Roe Kana and Republican Trump loyalist, and that is until just now, Matt Gates would block funding for military action in Iran without congressional approval. In other news nationally, just a little over 24 hours from now, our first Democratic presidential candidate debate will be taking place. Tomorrow will be part one. Remember, there's like 50 Democrats running here, so you have to divide the debates in two. <laughs> we really have no update. I just figured I would use this time to ask you, Ben, which candidate? Do you have which one are you feeling in these debates here? Well, right now, uh, the the candidate I'm leaning toward uh, is Elizabeth Warren. I like Elizabeth Warren a lot. I like she's been fighting the good fight for so many years. There was a, an article about uh, her upbringing in today's New York Times. Very cute picture of Elizabeth Warren at age when she was in third grade. Look at that, Leah. Uh, that's Elizabeth Warren when she was third grade. Uh, and um, so I'm I'm leaning toward Elizabeth Warden Warren. I, I, I have to smile a little bit because Democrats in the know, the strategists all tell me that she can't get elected, that uh, one, America's not ready to elect a woman. I've heard this so many times from so many people who are supposedly in the know. Number two, she's too smart. Americans are not ready to elect somebody who's openly smart. Three, she has too many plans. This is the state of, of politics in America today. So too much specificity is going to hurt her and damage her. Uh, that's just the general notion uh, that so many you know strategists on, in the know. And fourth, uh, she's easy for Donald Trump to mock with uh, because of her claims a few years back that somehow or other she has some kind of Nash, uh, uh, Native American heritage and you know, he mocks her by calling her Pocahontas. So supposedly, you know, that's got her intimidated and she won't win over, uh, you know, she won't win Wisconsin and Michigan because all the swing voters are there will be laughing at her uh, because of Donald Trump's mocking. So for all these reasons, the woman who's got the most intelligence, the best plans, uh, the most the wide, the widest array of ideas that she's ready to implement uh, is not uh, capable of winning an election. So should we not? But we should not vote for her. So I'm really looking forward to see how Elizabeth Warren handles herself on the big stage. And I got to also tell you, I'm kind of curious about uh, your, your the one you like the best, uh, Pete Buttigieg. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I love that guy. Mayor Pete of South Bend, Indiana. Now, okay, in complete contrast to Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren has spent her entire career thinking of how you solve problems, thinking about how you deal with like real serious issues that folks face in this country. Like, how do you pay for college education? We just talked about that with Leah a little while ago. How do you pay, pay for college education? How do you pay for healthcare? Thinking thinking about how you use government to help people. Here's P Pete Buttigieg, he's 37 years old. He's been mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Nobody, uh, a city, nobody, it's a small city in, the, uh, in, in Indiana, a red state. Few people know much about his record, uh, but because he's a smooth talker and uh, he's able to uh, win over a few uh, national media types, he's suddenly raking in millions of dollars and it's like neck and neck. Or he's right there with Elizabeth Warren. How is that fair? 
in any way. How does that show much sense? I don't know, but over the uh, weekend, people suddenly starting to pay attention to uh, Pete Buttigieg because of some police shootings in uh, South Bend have shown what uh, uh, Henry Davis was talking about when he came on this show about, what was that, about a, a month ago, D, uh, to talk about race relations in South Bend. And suddenly we start realize that P- Pete Buttigieg is, to put it mildly, not doing a very good job uh, in managing race relations, rate relationships between blacks and whites in South Bend, Indiana. And uh, so now people are, oh my God, they're looking at his record and his performance uh, and it's not matching up to the rhetoric. So I'm kind of curious uh, how he's going to deal with this. All of a sudden at age 37, after being mayor for eight years, he's discovered that uh, there's tense relationships between blacks and whites. Um, so it's interesting. Yep, I guess better late than never. So I shouldn't invite you to the Pete Buttigieg party I <laughs> no. got going this week. No, I got issues with Pete Buttigieg. I okay. have to say, I have issues with Pete Buttigieg. I don't understand okay. how somebody could just I emerge out of nowhere uh, with having no background uh, to speak of in terms of you know, having ideas to deal with the many problems the country faced and then suddenly find himself at the top of the pack. Tank bin off (laughs) invite list. Okay. Now, of course, we will keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along, but people, we're moving on. And after this short little break, people, we're going to find out what's going on locally. We're going to find out what else is news. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh my, look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Hey, yes, I love that commercial. Look at that lovely piece of architecture. I was on a tour, man. Look at the brain on Brad. Anyway, it's a, look at the big brain on ba- Brad. No, no, we're just going to go with brain on Brad. Anyway, what you got for me in the local news, <laughs> yeah, dude? You're talking to yourself. We're about to find out what's going on locally. It's time for what else is news. Okay, three questions. One, which one of you listeners in Illinois is throwing a New Year's marijuana party? Because <laughs> it's about to be legal, all right? Two, how do I get invited to that party? <laughs> And three, Alderman Carrie Austin. Seriously, uh, what the hell did you do? Mm. Our attempt at answering those questions is happening in moments. But first, we need to talk about what happened while we were away. Ben Jarofsky, while you were out in California riding your scooter all about the city of Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't lie, you love these scooters. Oh I saw God. you the other day. Yeah. The Rolling Stones performed in Chicago. Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and those other guys were at Soldier Field. It was your typical Rolling Stones concert in 2019. Very old men. For 10 trivia points, name one other member of the Rolling Stones. Got nothing. Jim Jones. Jim Jones? I don't know. (laughs) Charlie Watts on drums. Millennials, hang tight. (laughs) Got a fantastic program for you. Glad you downloaded. Don't... (laughs) Turn away. Don't tune out, okay? By the way, did you 
<laughs> did you uh, listen to uh, any Kurt Cobain over the weekend? Dude, I, I listen to Nirvana uh, like Nirvana. every now and again on the regular. The question is, did you listen to Nirvana? Not, still not got around to it, all right? Proco Joe, I'm going to get around to it, okay? Nirvana. It's on my list of things to do. All right. So uh, it was your typical, uh, you know, Rolling Stones concert in 2019. Very old men gyrating their hips about the stage. <laughs> Yeah, your typical Rolling Stones show. One guy was gyrating his head. Oh, hips. they're all out there moving and jiving. Wait, but can I just say something right now? What? Just to interrupt you. I know you got more important things to say, but I listen. And def- God bless you, Rolling Stones. You're going strong. Whether you're pushing eighty, you're still. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> you, some suckers born every minute going out to Soldier Field. Is that where it was? Soldier Field? They yeah. filled Soldier's Field with a bunch of old people. God bless every one of you, okay? But yeah. I'm just going to put it out there. I got to take the strong stance. They pay me the big bucks to take the strong stance. Mick Jagger, the aforementioned man who was gyrating his hips, cannot dance. There you go. I had oh, to say wow. It. He okay. can't dance. Well, this- that is not dancing. That's running around and doing gyrating okay now what i said being old and gyrating that's that's you know fine but saying they can't dance can't dance you ever see them the man can't dance our last show at the chicago sun times people it was nice while it lasted we're gonna get booted out of here now brian loves oh chris fusco just won't (laughs) stop talking about he's a great dancer but it was your typical rolling stone show until singer mick jagger gave a special shout out to our newly elected mayor Lori lightfoot saying quote i know guys this happened like last week right but we've been gone for a (laughs) long time i was so excited when it happened (laughs) gee did you hear about what jagger said (laughs) mick jagger said quote i want to welcome Lori lightfoot he told the sold out crowd very nice very nice then out of nowhere mick jagger cracks an alderman ed burke joke Uh, you know, Ed yeah. Burke, Alderman of the 14th Ward, the other other crooked Alderman who was recently indicted for abusing his power and shaking down a Burger King. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah. Mick Jagger said, quote, and I'm not doing a Mick Come Jagger. On. I'm not doing a Mick Hello, Jagger. Mate. Oh, that was a really good one. Hello. He said, quote, I'm sorry Ed Burke couldn't make it tonight. Oh, man, Mick Jagger's got a million of them. <laughs> not only can he dance, he can't do comedy. Let me say this. Okay. No, you are just... Well, I was talking to Mick Jagger last night. He goes, oh, really? Hello, Ben. He called me up. He goes, you know what he's going to talk about tonight, D, at the concert? Tiffs. He's going to go, let's clean up that TIFF program, Chicago. All right, so and we- then all those people, those old people in this soldier field, yeah! Yeah, man! So we've offended our Rolling Stones <laughs> fans. We've offended our British <laughs> listeners. Let's keep going, Ben. Let's no, just lose man. them all. What, what else? <laughs> let's lose them all right now. Uh, I'm just trying to think what Mick, what other issues Mick Jagger can... He can, talk, he can weigh in on Pete Buttigieg. Oh, yeah, just, yeah. You know, I, want, I really want to hear what Mick Jagger has to say about Buttigieg. Should Buttigieg be allowed to run for mayor? when he can't even do a decent job excuse me can he be allowed to run for uh president of the united states when he can't do a decent job of uh, running south also oh, the edberg comment wasn't enough huh? he's got to weigh in on national politics <laughs> yeah, too come on man you gotta, he's there to sing not <laughs> sit there and debate. have you heard mick jagger singing lately oh, all right please stop. <laughs> no but you know what god bless the rolling stones i said it already they're going strong 78 i think he's 78 years old yeah miles our next guest Huge Rolling Stones fan. Oh, really? I am actually. Are you really? Yeah, I'm trying to get tickets to the show tonight. So if any of your listeners are (laughs) (laughs) shamelessly (laughs) appealing for tickets, so Ben Jarosky, the question here: Does Mick Jagger follow Chicago politics? And more importantly, do you think he listens to the Ben Jarosky (laughs) show? He's a huge listener right now. (laughs) 
He's did you li- see he made that comment about Italian beefs and Malort at the show too? No, somebody is feeding him these lines. I, clearly, he, uh, he, no but kidding. tonight he will be discussing the TIFF program. Okay, <laughs> he goes. I don't understand how you could spend all that money on the north side and ignore the south Please side. Please stop with the accent. <laughs> you know, by the way, Mick Jagger. You know, they got their music from Chicago blues, which yeah. is. A lot of the birthplace of the Chicago Blues. Chess Records. Chess Records, Southside. So Mick Jagger, tonight, on stage, will speak up for the Southside of the TIFF program. He'll say, hello, mate. Spend more of that money. Okay, well, if he I'm listens just... to the show, you just upset Mick Jagger. Uh, yeah, I'm going to ask my, Miles, can Mick, in your humble opinion, can Mick Jagger dance? You I, I don't think he dances as much as he prances, but I think that oh, that's the... That's more the, of a prancer than a dancer. I think so, but I think that's what people are paying for. I like your kind of chimney sweep version of him, where he's a little <laughs> cockney. <laughs> chimney sweeper. That's like the dude... What was his name in uh, Mary Poppins? Yeah, Dick Bur- Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke. That's, I'm, I'm doing my Dick Van Dyke imitation. Okay, now. moving on. All After right. years of neglect, Illinois is finally getting its mojo back, okay. and we're open for business. Ben, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker may be right. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and one Tina Spondel as recreational marijuana is now roughly six months away from being legal across Illinois. Governor J.B. Pritzker signed the bill into law today. That means residents 21 and over will be able to buy marijuana at dispensaries as soon as January 1st. Illinois now joins 10 other states that have legalized recreational marijuana. In Vermont and Washington, D.C., cannabis possession and cultivation is legal, but sales are not regulated. Illinois and Vermont both legalized the drug through the legislative process and not via ballot initiative. Yeah, all right, listen, everybody knows my position on the legalization of marijuana. I've been advocating it for years and years and years, and now that it's happened... I have this, it's like, is that all there is attitude? You know what I'm saying? This anticlimactic attitude. I know I should be happier. Uh, to me, again, all the reasons for legalizing reefer that they've uh, stated in, in the state, uh, you know, like the notion of using it to, to raise more money, um, I think of the wrong reasons. Uh, that To me, the war on drugs was colossal failure. It should never been waged. And we should have just stopped the war on drugs. <laughs> 30 years ago, when Mick Jagger was in his 40s, okay? Uh, Mick Jagger, by the way, big reefer head back in the day. You didn't know that, did Oh, you? I mean, come on. <laughs> he got busted. No, a rock and roll guy <laughs> smokes pot. I believe he got busted for hashish. Okay. By the way, is hashish going to be legal? <laughs> I, did, I did not know that. I mean, the, you know, the di- variation. Uh, back in the day, D, when I was in college, before you were born, guys smoked hashish. Do they you know? I'm it's going to be hemp necklaces for everyone. That's <laughs> Wait, time out. Uh, uh, this is going to sh- show an astounding amount of ignorance about cannabis. Well, that never happens <laughs> on this show. <laughs> Miles, I'm putting you on the spot. What is the difference between hashish and marijuana? Uh, I can't. That's a, some kind of chemical breakdown has to do with the THC levels. I mean, really what's being sold now, you know, when you, I was just in California, the dispensary, I know you were too, the dispensaries there, they have these mixes of the CBD oil with the THC, with the weed oil. So people can kind of make their own concoctions of whatever kind of like uh, weed cocktail they're interested in, which is a far cry from what was available back here, in the All right, 70s. I'm going to say something else here. I'm going to just go out. I've already, you know, I've gone out on the limb about Mick Jagger not being able to dance, although you say it's prancing, not dancing. Uh, and uh, a YouTube live chat. Is uh, Mick Jagger a prancer or dancer? Yeah. Let's let's solve this. What's that What's that other, the the marijuana, C, what is it? CBD. Yeah, CBD. Somebody, I had a, wasn't feeling well. Someone goes, Ben, try this CBD. 
Okay. But I shouldn't say this because it was technical. No, CBD is legal, it right? Is, yeah. Current. Yeah. So they gave me, they did nothing. Yeah. I'm starting to think that the CBD thing is just a complete utter hoax. <laughs> I have I have a lot of feelings on that. I could go in. I mean, I think that a lot of these shops that are set up that are serving CBD are, they're just basically stand-ins for once legalization happens. And, the you know, they're all just going to become dispensaries then. And right now they can't sell the high-grade CBD stuff, which they have in California. So here people are like, oh, it doesn't really do anything. If you, if you get the stuff in Oakland or in L.A. or something, <laughs> it's a different level. So... I think we're, you know, we're getting the fake stuff now, but January 1st comes around and we're going to get the real story. CBD. Yeah. Oh, it's like, Ben, try the CBD. It didn't do anything for you. By the way, I guess I should tell you about California. People do smoke a lot of marijuana in California. I was sitting poolside just Sunday. I just told you this story. Some guy comes out and he goes, hey, man, <laughs> want to do a little a daytime smoking? And, he, you know, they were passing it around like, oh, sorry, man, I'm cool. That's how he sounded? Yeah, he was kind of like, yeah. Like Tommy Chung? <laughs> Like, just like Tommy Chung. <laughs> hey, what's better, my Tommy Chung imitation or my Mick Jagger? Please <laughs> don't go back to that well, okay? We got right. the listeners. We don't want to lose Anyway, them. so I agree with you. I think that, that, that it's a hoax in that uh, CB, yeah. whatever it is. Hope the live stream chat is weighing in. Mick Jagger, is he a prancer <laughs> or a dancer? Well, Pat Rod says neither. He's a gyrator. He, he, he's oh, wow. gy- I don't know. Elvis was a gyrator. Mick Jagger, it's it's like watching someone do uh, aerobics. You know what I mean? He's just sort of jumping around. And, At hey. this point, isn't it just impressive? He's a 70-year-old man. He's out here put, laying it all for two hours? Yeah. No, I, I, I'm i not. Look, God bless him. Yeah. I'm, ha- I'm happy he's uh, well and people love him and... So, All right, and finally here, we'd you. love to hear uh, Miles' take on, uh, opinion on this as well. Finally here, another day, another shady alderman in oh Chicago. We'll talk about this, this news later. broke right as we were leaving for break, Ben. Alderman Carrie Austin, Ben Pop Quiz. Which ward is Carrie Austin? Come on, 34th. Oh, my God. All right, what was her husband's name? Dude, you're the dork, <laughs> not me. He held the seat before. That is correct. Very good. Stone Cold Steve Austin, I believe. No, it's not. All right, Steve. very similar to Alderman Ed Lemuel. Burke. Uh, very similar to Alderman Ed Burke. Carrie Austin's ward office was raided by federal agents. Mm-hmm. And also similar to Ed Burke, yet we now wait for what exactly Carrie Austin did or did not do. But if you were to ask Austin, she'd say she did nothing. Here's the quote from Austin. Quote, I really have done nothing wrong. See, she said it. Oh, well, it must there be true go. then. She went on to say, I really, uh, I'm going to try to get back to what the people elected me for. The following update comes from the Illinois Political Bulldogs over at Illinois Politico and one Shia Kapos. Austin hasn't been charged, but she was a no-show at pre-slating meetings last week at which candidates for 2020 races introduced themselves. Politico went on to note that Austin is vice chairman of the Cook County Democratic Party. And I'm not sure if the news cycle has washed this person away from your memories yet, guys, but the chair of the Cook County Democratic Party is Tony Preckwinkle. Remember her? Ran for mayor? Got beat by Lori Lightfoot, like handedly? Political asked Preckwinkle if Carrie Austin should be allowed to keep her position. Preckwinkle said that she hasn't decided on whether to ask Austin to step down, saying, quote, there's a difference between an investigation and a criminal charge. So Ben Jarofsky, let's just park it here. Go read the rest of the story on Politico if you want to read the rest. I'm going to ask you your thoughts on Carrie Austin. What do you know about her past, and should she step down from her position? Um, I do not believe she should step down right now. 
I believe in the system uh, we have. You're innocent till proven otherwise. And by the way, there in and Tony Prickle is absolutely correct. Unless I miss something, Miles, she has not been charged with anything no. officially. There is an investigation, so you shouldn't just step down because they're investigating you. They may not find anything. It's this this leap of con this conclusion that people leap to that she's automatically guilty of something because she's a Chicago politician and she must be guilty because. We only elect guilty politicians uh, is is not fair. So I do not believe, I think it's premature to talk about uh, her stepping down. In terms of uh, Carrie Austin, I urge everyone, Franz Spielman wrote a great article, the, uh, a profile of Carrie Austin. Franz Spielman, of course, the Chicago Sun-Times political reporter, city council reporter, city hall reporter. He's been covering Carrie Austin forever and interviewing her forever. And uh, it was really delightful it was it, it was a, a delightful profile of Carrie Austin. Just really showed you the, the her sort of personality, her caustic sense of humor, her very cynical view uh, about life in general and in, in Chicago politics. So I urge everyone to read that. Um, what's your general thoughts about this, Miles? Well, I agree. I mean, I uh, also think it doesn't look great when an, any alderman has their office raided by the FBI, um, as particularly now when we know that there's multiple investigations going on. There was, um, you know, Willie Cochran just got sentenced to a year. Um, Solis was wearing a wire for two years. <laughs> So who knows what's on that yeah. and what comes out of it. So people are rightful to be suspicious. I think also her immediate response. I mean, she just kind of went AWOL for a while until we got this statement. So um, people can understand. Uh, move, move on. Uh, I think that the, you know, we got to let the system play out. And until she's charged with a crime, you know, I can't ask her to step down. Well, yeah. The, uh, from what I read, the, the initials uh, scuttlebutt is that it's somehow or other related to what else, uh, a TIF, TIF deal uh, in her ward. Uh, but again, this is just scuttlebutt. Nobody knows for certain this the investigation, so you do have to let it play out. And uh, But yeah, I don't know, Chicago. Uh, Miles, you're born in Chicago. You're a Chicago kid from Whitney Young High School. That's right. Uh, Beverly, uh, the area. I mean, uh, have you ever lived in a city other than Chicago? I lived in New York. I went to... Uh college in new york so i was there for about four years so is, is there a culture in new york that's akin to chicago in terms of cynical jaded uh corrupt corrupt uh, local politics uh, well it's it's certainly a different scene i mean i was there 2000 around 2004 2005 the um, bloomberg years in mm. new york and it was kind of a, i think there was a cynicism then i think right now the council there looks completely different and obviously de blasio is much more of a um, ally to progressive groups in the city so it's you know there is a kind of revitalization i think of political and civic engagement there which is also happening on the state level which we could go into what's happening in new york they just passed these amazing housing laws that really struck a, a blow to the real estate industry um something like that you know could be a fight that uh previews what's going to happen here in illinois with the fight to lift the ban on rent control the state level um, but yeah, I mean, Chicago is just has this reputation of being a town of crooks and time after time, we're seeing that um, play out. And what the counter to that is that we've also seen in this past election, a huge group of community organizers elected to office who is as far of a cry as you can get from this pay to play stuff um, and lifetime, you know, political cretinery that, uh, seems to dominate Chicago politics. Now there's just regular people sitting in city council seats, whether it's Jeanette Taylor or Rosanna Rodriguez. So I think there's kind of two different, um, visions of what Chicago politics look like. And we're seeing that play out right now. I mean, what just happened here this past week, uh, 
Carlos Ramirez Rosa and Rosana Rodriguez got together and held these immigrant uh, rights trainings um, along with state uh, rep Will Gazzardi to prepare for what were supposed to be mass raids uh, in Chicago on immigrant families that Trump had uh, said were going to happen until he called them off. And that was a really amazing show, I think, of how people can use their legislative offices as uh, places to organize their communities and protect them from national threats, you know, from directly from Trump. And what happened, Trump called off the raids. Obviously, I think it would have been a PR disaster for him to see families getting separated in the streets of Chicago. Um, so he called them off after, you know, this uh, people would be getting told about their rights, planning these immigrant defense uh, actions. And he called it off and called out Chicago, you know, in his statement. So Trump is clearly paying attention to what's going on here. And that's a very different type of politics than seeing, you know, Willie Cochran hauled off and oh, sentenced. Well, and, and Donald Trump, in, I think, in a very real way, understands sort of the traditional uh, character of Chicago politics. It was Donald Trump who very successfully uh, manipulated uh, the powers that be in the Democratic Party, the local Democratic Party, including Ed Burke. Uh, he hired Ed Burke as his property tax lawyer to reduce the amount of taxes he has to pay on his tower. And he got Rahm Emanuel City Hall to sign off on that atrocious sign that goes on his tower right in the middle of downtown Chicago. Whenever Dennis Iron in the brown line, he goes, look, do, do your imitation. Look at my building. <laughs> Every time we go by that There's sign. like sitting on the brown line. Who's that douchebag? <laughs> look at my building, Ben. <laughs> and so he, I think Donald Trump really understood Chicago in a very fundamental way. And now he understands the rest of the country's attitude towards Chicago, or at least his base's attitude towards Chicago. So he uses Chicago, you know, sort of just as a symbol of things that, it, that people, that he understands intuitively that his voters dislike, you know, integration, different ethnic groups, black people, uh, and uh, and Democrats in general. Uh, and he uses that successfully to, to whip up uh, the his, you know, his base of support. I don't know when I, when I follow that from afar. So I guess I have to ask you this. Do you think Donald Trump was sincere uh, when he said that he was going to round up uh, uh, the immigrants? Or, or do you think that was just sort of the equivalent, equivalent of him sending off one of his tweets about obliterating Iran. Well, I think that it is no coincidence that he put out all of this, you know, these threats about rounding up immigrant millions of immigrants, he said, um, at the same time he was launching his reelection campaign. Because what we saw back in 2015 is he founded his whole campaign on fear and villainization of immigrants, of black and brown communities and uh, he's continued. That's been a through line throughout his presidency. You know, you can say all kinds of issues. He's flip flopped on. He said he was going to provide everybody health care. He wants to throw people off. He has been consistent on making immigrants the enemy in his story of America. And that, uh, I think, is central to how he is trying to build up his base. And that is so runs so counter to what you know, people in Chicago realize is what makes America and certainly makes our city a vibrant and rich and, you know, culturally wonderful place to be. Like, what would Chicago look like without uh, Hispanic immigrants or oh, yeah. immigrants at all? You know, it would be a completely different landscape. And that might be the vision for somebody like Trump. What I do think is that he knows that, or at least should know, that, you know, the immigration enforcement in America does not have the staff right now or the funding to go after millions of immigrants. Um, that just wouldn't be possible with their what we have in terms of our resources, which I think is a good thing. You know, we shouldn't have a mass deportation force 
uh, on call to, to kick people out of the country, but also he is now using it in almost even a more disgusting way as a threat. Yeah. And he's saying, you know, we have two weeks and I'm going to use this as a political football to try to extract some other concessions out of Democrats and negotiations. And these are people's lives. You know, yeah. these are families. So um, I don't know what his exact convictions are, but I'm not surprised that yeah. that's how it went. I, I, uh, I don't... I by the way, I should uh, point out to uh, follow up to what you said. Rob uh, Perrell, who is a uh, demographer in the city of Chicago, was on the show about a week ago. We uh, interview with him talking about uh, the future of the city of Chicago in terms of population. And uh, the cutoff of immigration into the city has really uh, hurt Chicago just in terms of the sheer number of people live here, the vibrancy of neighborhoods. Uh, the diversity of Chicago, and uh, that's probably why this area is experiencing uh, a drop in immigration. And and frankly, I, I've said this so many times, uh, Miles, I do not understand, well, I guess I do understand why uh, people, let's say, in North Dakota are fired up uh, about Donald Trump's, you know, playing off prejudices and fears of people with brown skin and, and riling up his base. But if, if they viewed it the same way, they, they need people in their state too. Of course. And uh, so it's, it's, it's a typical Trump thing where there's no thought to what he's saying or doing. Uh, there's no really plotting out the consequences. Yeah. Uh, and it's just rhetoric that he throws out. I don't know if you saw this, D, uh, or Miles, but uh, his, um, the head of the Customs and Border Agency, this story was breaking as we were coming on the oh. air. Uh, John Sanders is probably going to step down. It's a temporary position. Uh, he was filled a vacancy that was created when the former head of that entity took over Homeland Security. Uh, so there's just utter chaos on oh, the yeah. part of Donald Trump on the issue. Well, people don't like being in this position where they're supposed to just respond to whatever the president decides and tweets out at any time. You know, this was clearly not a well thought out plan because they called it off hours before it was supposed to go into yeah. effect. So I could understand the head of an agency who's supposed to just, you know, fall in line whenever the president tweets something says, you know, screw this. Yeah, I figured this one out. Uh, uh, so anyway, you got any more updates for us, young man? No, that's about it. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on locally. Now you'll have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? We do have an update here on uh, the question of the day. We tackle the tough issues here on the Ben Jarofsky show. Mick Jagger. <laughs> Dancer yeah. or Prancer? Yeah, okay, well, yeah. we had someone weigh in on the live stream. Yeah. Uh, Pat Rod, he said he's a gyrator. Yeah. Well, we're not really, uh, we got one more to add here. <laughs> Prancer, dancer, gyrator. According to Kyle Young, well, I'm sorry I said your last name, dude. Oh, <laughs> come on, man. Sorry, Kyle. Uh, according to Kyle, he's a strutter. He struts. Yeah, he struts across the stage. He said he struts like a rooster. So, live stream chat room, <laughs> downloaders, if you're listening to this right now, let's just solve this once and for he all. Struts Mick like a Jagger, rooster. prancer, dancer, <laughs> gyrator, strutter, or something else. Hey, I don't know. I'll tell you one thing he's not a dancer. Oh, Good wow. God. All the Rolling Stones <laughs> fans are so upset. Uh, I'll tell you one thing, though. What? One thing that Mick Jagger. Keith Richards and Charlie Watts all agree. You oh. did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We got more with Miles when we return. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. 
The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater. Open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m. 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Hey! Playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. (laughs) And for the record, I love puppies. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicolas Fayette. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, indeed. We're back. Miles Conflossen from In These Times is with us. We were talking local politics. Let's keep it here in the state of Illinois. Let's talk about state politics. J.B. Pritzker uh, signed the reefer bill. Marijuana is now legal. And thanks to Miles, I now sort of understand the difference between uh, hashish and marijuana. Thank you, Miles. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, Dr. D is like, yeah, man, I knew that too. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, hashish. Uh, hashish. I went to high school with a kid named Hashish. Anyway. Um, so what do you think, Miles? Uh, J.B. Pritzker, I did not uh, vote for J.B. Pritzker in the primary, I have to tell you. Uh, and now I have to say uh, I'm very impressed uh, as you know, a person of the, the lefty persuasion on the Democratic uh, Party uh, that uh, he's been the most progressive uh, governor in my lifetime. I, I think my lifetime, I have to say. Uh, and he's uh, proved me wrong. Mm-hmm. So what's your general thoughts about J.B. Pritzker? Well, this is a monumental day. Obviously, we now have a legislation that has been signed that's going to go into effect January 1st where um, we're going to have the most progressive marijuana legalization um, in the country, and that's pretty incredible. I mean, the fact that you're, you know, just think about a year, two years ago, we, had, we were under uh, the rule of Bruce Rauner, we had pretty much every piece of legislation stalled. Um, could, things couldn't go anywhere. And uh, we had no budget. We had, you know, crumbling infrastructure and seemingly this antagonistic view towards marijuana, which is clearly an economic, you know, boom for the state. And now we're going to see that put into practice. But not just that, there's going to be um, social equity elements to it as well. And that's really what sets the bill here apart is that there's, you know, um, requirements for funding going back into struggling communities, the ones that have been the very ones who've been ravaged by the war on drugs. Um, and we're going to see uh, bus- business incentives for um, black and brown owned businesses to, to get involved in the business of marijuana. Because when you look at some states like Colorado, it's just all basically 
you know, wealthy white people that run the whole marijuana industry. And they're the ones that are benefiting and profiting off of this new business. Whereas the people that faced the um, repercussions from uh, marijuana being illegal were primarily black and brown people. So are proud of, um, disproportionately. So that's, you know, a pretty incredible thing that we have just witnessed in the state. And it seems like it just happened so fast that it's like, oh, this is just, you know, how the state runs. But compared to what we had before, it's pretty incredible. And that just adds to this list of um, pretty incredible accomplishments, not just for Pritzker, but for um, the super majorities that uh, Democrats have in the legislature and really for the community groups that have been fighting for these changes forever. I mean, it's not it's not like the new class of um, representatives and state senators got in office and wrote all these bills up super quick and got them to the uh, governor's desk. These have been in process for years um, and they've been informed by the work of community groups. So whether that's the graduated income tax, the abortion protections, which are incredible um, and will help protect uh, Illinois if Roe v. Wade does, in fact, get overturned by Trump's Supreme Court. Um, we got a budget, finally. We got a massive infrastructure bill. One thing that has been fairly uncovered uh, is the contract that got signed with the Ask Me 31. I mean, that's a pretty, that had been stalled for years uh, under Ronner, and so they had just been operating off the previous contract. They're getting reimbursement pay. They're getting raises for the next three years. Um, and it's by all accounts a fairly fair contract. It got you know ratified by a pretty good margin. So um, these are really positive steps. What I will say is that I would not go as far as to give this governor an A necessarily. I think there are some areas where um, we could have gone farther, particularly with the budget. I think Pritzker really wanted to get Republican votes and wanted to make it a bipartisan bill, which is understandable. But as a result of that, they did take out some of the... Um, amendments in there that would have put some more taxes on corporations. You know, there was um, things that closed corporate tax loopholes, specifically around offshoring. Those got removed after Republican objections. So really all of the revenue in that budget is pretty regressive, whether it's the plastic bag tax, the cigarette tax, the um, and for infra, same for infrastructure. I mean, we're going to see vehicle registration taxes increase. So there are some more regressive elements of this that I think that could have been potentially avoided. Um, that said, I mean, it's hard to imagine a better outcome mm. for people that believe in a progressive agenda yeah. for Illinois than well, what we got. And the, I, I, this is my uh, theme of the day. There's no, probably nothing uh, more regressive than our infatuation with gambling yeah. as a way to fund government. Uh, but put that to a side, I almost feel like I'm nitpicking the guy because yeah. uh, the overall uh, movement, and you could put the also in that list, uh, SEIU, home care workers, uh, got a resolution uh, from a lawsuit that uh, Rauner had filed, and they're going to get back pay increases, much deserved, in my humble opinion. So um, when I look at the total movement uh, toward the, the progressive side of things, I'm impressed. And and, I, and this is a general theme. I'm just sort of working out. I'm going to use, use my guinea pig here. Uh, Miles probably write a column about this. But... I had put Pritzker when he ran in sort of a ROM category of sort of a, you know, whatever they, whatever you want to call it. And I've, every, I've heard every phrase, neoliberal, corporate Democrat, uh, Dems. Uh, but I always thought the most cautious Democrats who uh, essentially thought that the way to govern was to move to the right, cut deals with the business community, private, cut privatization deals, uh, cut deals with Republicans, malign the left, 
so that it, they distinguish themselves from the left uh, and then try to make themselves look like they're more pragmatic. Uh, this is 101 of Ramism. And, uh, and then uh, make it uh, pronounce yourself as a, a steward of, of uh, the budget when you close like mental health clinics or yeah. schools. And I put Rauner, um, excuse me, I put Pritzker in that category because I didn't know anything about the guy. He had no record. And, uh, you know, his sister stood, sat on the school board. So I just figured, all right, well, you know, he's a billionaire, you know. Uh, and I don't think he is. If, I, I, if, if, if you judge the man's uh, political worldview by his, what, first six months in office, I'd say he is a progressive. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I don't know necessarily what is. It still is early on. I mean, the the slew of legislation that went through you should be considered progressive. I mean, that there's no doubt about that. And I think he has taken a more um, collaborative approach to government than certainly his predecessor did. I mean, when it comes to the marijuana bill, for example, there were groups like uh, Black Roots Alliance, like um, Chicago and Illinois Normal, groups that had worked on marijuana legalization and on racial equity issues that were helping to write this legislation. Um, so I don't, I think that is a credit to a more collaborative approach to government. Certainly. I don't know if that means that, you know, Pritzker is a, a red or anything like that. You know, that he's <laughs> I don't think Pritzker's a red. Yeah. <laughs> I can we safely assume that. But I do think that that's, it goes to show that he has, um, a very different, uh, view of government that is not as ideologically conservative as what Rahm Emanuel certainly, uh, showed when he was in office and i think that it shows this is you know what happens when you not only have a governor who is willing to you know sign on to progressive priorities and follow the lead of um champions of these issues but also invested in all these downstate races to get more democrats elected and to get some progressive democrats elected too so that the um legislature looks a lot different now and it's willing to sign on to these really big bold policies i mean there was debate that we didn't know that this legalization bill was going to go through until the final hours of the session basically and they got they hustled and they got it um, done the, on that issue as well, though there are there were some elements. You know, we're still we still have to see if the gov if the governor will in fact expunge all these records and cancel it out yeah. because now it is at the governor's discretion. Before it was automatic within the bill, so I'd hold some applause until that happens. But um, that still, I mean, it's 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 a pretty impressive feat. And just thinking about that compared to Bruce Rauner and compared to I don't know if you guys got it in your feed, but I remember the lead up to the. Um, general election i just kept getting these jb pritzker ads in my facebook feed that were just like asking about what jb is like as a, on a his lifestyle choices yeah like, had him talking about how much he likes lost and gilligan's island yeah, and i yeah, was thinking yeah. oh my god what are we going to be stuck <laughs> yeah, with yeah. with this guy um and well, we so, talked about that all the time yeah. and that is a byproduct of jb pritzker having so much money and uh if you think back about it miles Bruce Rauner, what he effectively did against uh, Pat Quinn when he ran and de defeated him in 2014, and what he did uh, against Michael Madigan for those four years is vilify and demonize and try to create an image that is a very negative image that people would dislike. 
and he used his power of, uh, of the purse to buy up ads to hit him hard with these negative ads. So Pritzker, he had so much money, he could counterattack with like, I'm a nice guy. I like giggling. And for the guy. record, I love puppies. <laughs> you talking about that? Yeah, that ad. Yeah. Check the feed. Yeah. Oh, then there's this. Yay for our teachers. That's Yay right. for our teachers. Bruce Ryan likes teachers. Bruce Ryan likes teachers. No, but uh, Pritzker, he liked uh, Steve Mills. Speaking of rock bands. Guy can't dance at all, Steve Miller. He doesn't even pretend to dance, <laughs> unlike Mick Jagger. But uh, uh, so, yeah, he, you're right. He, I, I believe that was just, that's also what got me a little cynical about him. You know, I was like, well, this, but that's 101. I mean, of politics, that's what you got to do these days uh, to get elected. Well, it and, worked, clearly. I mean, he, he uh, pounded Rauner, and now he's, you know, pushing forward the most expansive progressive uh, movement in Illinois politics in a generation. And by the way, I just want to point out a man who has receded uh, in his position as the most powerful uh, politician in the state of Illinois, Michael Joseph Madigan. Don't hear a lot about Michael Madigan being all powerful. That was a uh, a device that um, that Rauner used, uh, supported by the Chicago Tribune, of course, to make Madigan to be so, so overwhelmingly powerful, you couldn't get anything through and <laughs> got everything through. And I, I see really no strong evidence that Michael Madigan was the captain of the ship to getting this stuff passed. No, I mean, there will be plenty of debates coming up, you know, in terms of the elected school board bill, with which, which you know, Cullerton is you know, holding apparently at the advice of Mayor Lightfoot. Um, and when it comes to repealing the ban on rent control, I mean, I think that's going to be a massive fight and the governor and all sorts of constituencies are going to have to show which side they're on. You know, it seems from all the um, referendum votes that happened here in Chicago, I think they were all over 75 percent positive. People are excited. They at least want to lift the ban and let municipalities decide on whether they're going to enact rent control. And the one people hold standing in their way is the real estate lobby yeah. that got that ban put in place originally in the 90s. So I think that's going to be another uh, challenge to see the um, how they, you know, which, which side folks are on. Yeah, I'm curious uh, when Amisha Patel comes on to get her thoughts on uh, rent control. I also get her thoughts on J.B. Pritzker, uh, whether he is uh, a progressive uh, champion uh, of uh, left-wing democratic policies. All right, uh, before we bring Amisha on, though, I have to ask you about the national uh, politics. You mentioned Bill de Blasio a little while ago, talking about uh, your days in New York when mm -hmm. you were a student in college, right before de Blasio was elected mm -hmm. uh, a mayor. Now, of course, he's running for president. I don't quite understand why. Uh, Miles and I've got mixed feelings about uh, De Blasio. Uh, what's your general thought about? Well, just is there anybody in this race <laughs> that uh, I'm showing him a picture of all the Democratic candidates? Or is anyone in there that you, that you support early on that you really? Well, like I don't think there's any question about who the progressives in the presidential race are and who are the people that are running to increase their image and their stature and their fundraising. And I think that's the majority of this now twenty five person field is people looking out for their future careers and you know trying to make a dent or maybe running like a Jay Inslee where you're focusing on climate change in particular and you're really trying to inject that issue into the um, debate which could be worthwhile but most of these people are either um, not necessarily serious candidates and I would 
probably put Bill de Blasio among them. Um, Why is Bill de Blasio running for president well, of the United States? Well, they're, they're, the, every incentive, if you are, I think, if you are trying to be a national Democrat, is to run for president. Why would you not? You get to increase your fundraising list, your stature, you get national media attention, you get to, you know, seem like you're an important person. There's a lot of reasons to run for president that are ne- not necessarily thinking you're going to be, or you get picked as VP, or you get picked as a some type of cabinet spot or something, you know, you're basically throwing your hat in the ring to say, hey, I'm out here, you know, if you want to. So what do you uh, think Bill me? de Blasio in particular, what, what does he bring to the race? Um, well, he's a he's a, um, the governor or the, the mayor of the most populous uh, city in the country. And so he's got an experience running as a progressive. He's, you know, championed some issues like affordable housing and um, universal health care that I think are very important. But that said, I mean, I think that by the end of the race, my prediction is he's going to endorse one of two candidates, and that's Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, because they are the real progressives in this race right now. They're the ones with the support. They're the ones with the wherewithal. They're the ones with the real campaign staffs, the ones with the fundraising capacity. And they're the ones that are going to be, I think, running a much longer race that extends far past Iowa. And I think most of these people are going to drop out. And as we saw, you know, there was an Emerson poll just out today that had uh, Bernie Sanders within seven points of Joe Biden. And that's, you know, a pretty incredible. It's rat his heels, I, basically. I, I missed that poll. That is nationwide poll. It's nationwide poll. You can look it up. It just came out today. And I mean, obviously, there's been fluctuations in polls, right? Some of them yeah. show Warren in second place. Some of them show Biden with an insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable lead. So I think it is a little early to talk about that. And these debates are going to be really clarifying moments. I think we're going to get to see what people really believe in. My, uh, what I anticipate is that on Thursday night, Bernie Sanders is going to have some complaints about Joe Biden's record, and that's going to uh, be <laughs> yeah. an important part in this campaign because really it's a fight for what direction we want to see the Democratic Party go in. And to me, Joe Biden represents a very uh, conservative. Wait, before you get to the Biden question, I have to. I can't, I can't remember the lineups. I, I, you know, my memory isn't as strong as it used to be. Uh, is Biden going to be on stage with Bernie on Thursday? That's right. All right. Okay, I just could not remember that. That's and right. And Elizabeth Warren, Warren is on the night before. The night before, okay. Uh, uh, I would, wow. I think they're calling the first night senior night. (laughs) (laughs) No, that would be the second night. You can <laughs> the second night because isn't the second night where Biden and Bernie are going? Biden and Bernie are up. There oh, is I heard also they're calling the second night senior night. Yeah, the second. Night okay, Doctor. Oh, okay, he's got a million of them. Uh, the, there is gonna, Buttigieg is going to be on that third night or in that second night as well. All so. right. Now, now, since you brought him up, uh, this is sort of my personal uh, thing here. I'm going to see if you share it. I do not. I'm having a little difficulty with the Buttigieg campaign. I'll tell you why. I don't. First of all, I think when I compare it to Elizabeth Warren, it's so unfair to me that this guy, uh, I don't even know if unfair is the right word, but just, just where we are in a state of politics in the United States, in the Democratic Party, that Elizabeth Warren has this incredible resume of doing these amazingly progressive things and uh, has all these great ideas, is close with Buttigieg, who's done nothing but damn charming <laughs> so i don't get it well, he's got i don't know if you discussed it earlier but he's got this whole scandal roiling back in um his his home city right now which is not looking good have we him. discussed it earlier <laughs> one more time folks go listen to henry davis's interview we've uh we, we we've been talking about this for over a month yeah uh Buttigieg's relationship with the black community in south bend mm-hmm. which i don't understand why he thought again there's always a level of um what is it just uh, denial that people are in when they run for office but how 
Pete Buttigieg could think he could just waltz in to become president of the United or the um, the nominee of the Democratic Party for president of the United States uh, when black people they comprise like fifty percent of the vote I think in the southern states. And he has this atrocious record in South Bend. Well, and what is what is Pete Buttigieg running on? You know, can anybody name a real like policy plank of Pete Buttigieg that sets him apart from other people? I understand that, you know, he seems charming and new and has, you know, elements that much like Beto O'Rourke, where the Democratic Party is trying to put forward some type of candidate that can just be a blank slate that people can you know, tack anything they want onto. But I don't think either of them, for one thing, have the political skills of a Barack Obama. And also Barack Obama had a real record that he was running on. I mean, you can argue about like what it was, you know, whether it was uh, as... Um, comprehensive that, as, yeah. as as some other people. I mean, I think, you know, if you're talking about longevity, that's why I think the, the Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden dichotomy is so important yeah. because they have both been in public life for so long and have such opposite records. I'm going to disagree with you on this point. I think uh, that Buttigieg and Beto O'Rourke are following the Barack Obama playbook. I think that Barack Obama did not have a legacy, did not have a record. Uh, what he had was a position against the uh, Iraq war in 2002, before it was popular to be against the war that distinguished him from Hillary Clinton. That and his charm, his charisma, and his ability to give a speech got him real far. Yeah. And I think that is a pattern that Buttigieg and Beto O'Rourke are trying to emulate. Uh, and I personally, maybe it's a sign of my advancing age, am getting tired of just narratives, if you follow what I'm saying. I, I agree with you completely. The only thing I'd say is at least like Barack Obama had been elected to the Senate. He was on the Foreign Relations Committee. He had been in this kind of national politics space, whereas Beto O'Rourke and Buttigieg, neither of them have come close to that in terms of their political career so far. Uh, and I'll, so. I'll give, now that, I'm, now that I took from Barack Obama, I will say he at least, he apparently thought about these larger issues of race yeah. uh, in our country. He thought about him. He wrote about him, you know, in his book about his father. So, but I do believe uh, that in some ways he's hurt Democratic Party. You know what I'm saying? His success. Well, uh, I think he was really a singular figure. I mean, it's hard to imagine anybody with the political skills of a Barack Obama now. I mean, I have plenty of problems with his legacy as, you know, what, what he accomplished in office. But I do think as a politician, he was incredibly talented and it's hard to make that up. And I think that's what the debates are going to show is that there's not, we don't have a character quite like that. Right, All right. right now, now, I told you, I, I just uh, came back from California sunglasses on and everything when right. I was hanging out in South California. And I was taking a lot of abuse from my millennial friends in California because they say I'm too nice to Joe Biden. All right. And uh, so what's your attitude, Miles, about Joe Biden? Well, this is a, a, a guy who's built his political career on acquiescing to the demands of the right wing in this country. And I, I don't think there's any way to view his political career uh, besides that, whether it's, it's you know, his um, opposition to busing and aligning himself with some of the most disgusting people in our political history, whether it's these segregationists he just recently was singing the praises of, extolling it. Um, or Jesse Helms, these people he's worked with, whether it's his work on the crime bill, on building up mass incarceration, whether he was trying to um, cut basic entitlements like Social Security and Medicare, which he's shown to be done throughout his career, particularly under Obama during his time trying to negotiate this grand bargain that never happened. 
I think that this is uh, somebody who has not shown any progressive leadership um, and it's instead has given us the you know view of the Democratic Party as, oh, we're just here to meet the right wing halfway, no matter how far right they, they go. We're just going to keep on giving um, appeals towards bipartisanship while selling off uh, basic progressive priorities, whether it's a support, you know, which is now flip flopping on for the Hyde Amendment, which basically, you know, it's uh, would. Um, pull back reproductive freedom in the United States or whether he's, you know, now talking, he's, he says, oh, maybe we'll do a public option, but he's standing in the way of Medicare for all, which is clearly becoming the Democratic consensus uh, on on the issue of health care. Oh. This is not somebody who is going to be a progressive champion. And, and never have we had a more clarifying contrast between candidates as we have right now, I think, um, with Joe Biden, who was even more of a conservative force in the Democratic Party than Hillary Clinton was, mm-hmm. and people like uh, Bernie Sanders, who's been standing up uh, for a progressive agenda. I mean, he's been saying the same thing for 40 years. <laughs> and so, you know, he's been consistent. like yeah. it or not, that's, yeah. that's somebody who's, who's been very clear. I think it would be beyond irony uh, if Joe Biden were to secure the nomination, not saying this would happen, but if he were to secure the nomination by suddenly at this late light point in his political career, start talking like Bernie yeah. on health care. Mm-hmm. If that's because it's going to take that, I, I believe, Miles, you're going to the Democratic nominee has got to be strong on health care. Can't do this wishy washy stuff. And he's been wishy washy. And one more thing I'll say, he just Joe Biden just went to this fundraiser in New York and he said to these bankers, you know, some of the wealthiest people yeah. said, you're not the enemy nothing's going to have to change fundamentally nobody's standard of living is going to have to change yeah. he basically gave the appeal that you know it's fine everything's working as it should we just we're, we're donald trump is president we've seen this massive transfer of wealth to the top we've seen this tax cut that gave 83 percent of its benefits to the wealthiest and yet joe biden thinks apparently that that's fine that rich people won't have to pay up at all and that we can just keep on swimming along i don't think that that's a winning message for 2020 and i don't think that that's how most people feel but they know there has to be a fundamental change and that has to start with redistributing wealth and power in our society. Uh, very well put. And by the way, I have to say, uh, their standard of living will not dramatically uh, change if you raise the tax rate on them. That's for certain. You know well, what yeah. I mean? Well, and also, I mean, it just <laughs> screws with the whole idea of taxes. Tax Having high marginal tax rates is meant to make people not become these insane trillionaire, uh, you know, uh, tycoons. It's to tamp down on the uh, excesses of wealth in our society. It's not just to punish people. All right. That's Miles Conflassen from In These Times. Uh, does a great job covering politics for In These Times and coming on our show talking about politics. We have Amisha Patel sitting, standing by. We're going to bring her on with a mystery guest. We'll see who that mystery guest is when we return. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. 
To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J E F F M as in Mary, A N as in Nancy, U E L P I A N I S T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky Show for Tuesday, June 25th is just moments away. But before we get into that and get all carried away, we would like to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and helping us bring back the Ben Jarofsky Show. So many unions, including the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. A giant thank you to those unions for jumping on board and helping bring back the Ben Jarofsky Show. And, of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, June 25th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, it's the return of our good friend and grassroots organizer from Grassroots Collaborative, it's Amisha Patel with... A mystery guest. Mystery oh guest. <laughs> oh my god! And now your host, back from California. Uh, I heard he rode like four scooters. <laughs> man, don't get me started on those scooters, Amisha Patel. Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> yeah, man. That super trippy music means mystery guest time. Amisha Patel comes on the show once a month or so from the Grassroots Collaborative. Our favorite community organizer, always like to say. Uh, and Amisha, you generally bring a mystery guest with you. So first of all, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be here. And introduce the mystery guest. Yeah, well, I'm really excited to bring um, my mystery friend on the show today. Um, she is a, a fierce organizer of restaurant workers across the city of Chicago, and um, she will talk more about her work herself, but um, here is Nataki Rhodes um, with Rock. All right, Nataki, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. All right, so tell a little bit about yourself. This is your first visit to our show, our humble airwaves. Uh, so... Get, to introduce yourself to our listeners and talk a little bit about your organization. Um, thank you. My name is Nataki Rhodes. Um, I was born and raised in Chicago. I'm a native of, of Chicago. I'm a single mom of one son. He's 24 and a grandmother of a three-year-old. Um, I've been at Rock Chicago Restaurant Opportunity Center now for about five years i've been a member for 10 years and i've been a i was a restaurant worker for about 
17 years in the industry. Mm, 17 years working. Now, what, what jobs did you hold in the restaurant industry? Uh, I held uh, quite a few uh, service, tip work, um, service, uh, back of the house, front of the house, um, bartender, um, uh, bathroom attendant, coat check, uh, pretty much everything. Bathroom attendant? Yes, bathroom attendant. There's still restaurants with bathroom attendants? Yes, Gibson's. Yep. You know what? I gotta get out more, Nataki. I, I gotta go to Gibson. Get that sirloin. Uh, and uh, uh, Quatinos too. Uh-huh. Quatinos, they, I believe, they still have bathroom attendants too. I, I never understood. Uh, I know we're in a tangent here, but I never understood the philosophy of having a bathroom attendant. Um, is there a rhyme or reason? Do, do people like? <laughs> yes, actually, yeah. people love having bathroom attendants because we help people to come into the bathroom, greet you, um, to feel how you're doing. You might need some mints. I might need to tell you, you got lipstick on your teeth. <laughs> you might need to. Yeah. You might need anything. Um, some people bring their daughters in um, for the experience. Um, they're very manable. They leave tips and. Um, they need a lot of help. You'll be surprised. All a right. lot of ladies need help. Okay, the that's the ladies' room. I, and I, the men's room, okay, too. I'm just putting it out there. The last <laughs> thing I want to do is have a conversation in a restaurant bathroom. But you know what? That's just me. All right, let's move on and talk about the issues uh, that you're championing uh, with uh, your organization. Oh, yes. So Restaurant Opportunity Center, we've been in uh, Chicago since 2008. And we organize and work with uh, restaurant workers and service workers and tip workers across Chicago. Um, our biggest thing is to improve working conditions and wages for low-wage workers that's in the industry. And also, we, are, we work with employees that like to um, improve the uh, industry by making sure that they're doing and servicing their employees right. Now, Amisha, generally when uh, there's been talk about raising the uh, minimum wage that restaurant employees have, uh, the notion is that I remember all the old mayor putting this out there, not the two mayors ago, Mayor Daly, mayor, uh, was very uh, protective of the interest of the restaurant industry. We always say we're going to drive the good restaurants. out. He even said that about cigarette smoking. I don't know if uh, you remember that, Nataki, but Mayor Daly was against uh, banning cigarette smoking in restaurants on the notion that somehow or other that would drive restaurants out of the city of Chicago. Uh, I think it was just the opposite, and I was proved right on that issue. But uh, what impact... Uh, would some of your proposals have on the restaurant industry? Well, we're um, we're excited uh, about an ordinance that we have introduced in the city council, um, our Raise Chicago ordinance, which is aims to get to fifteen dollars an hour by twenty twenty one, and that aim the goal is to include as many workers as possible and to not leave a single worker behind. So what people may not know is that when the Chicago Raise uh, minimum wage got increased a few years ago, that we also worked on. Um, we were pushing, of course, all of us have been fighting for 15 for years. Um, we got, you know, a manual starting point was $11, but we, you know, through our organizing at least got to 13, which is where we're about to hit right now. Um, but what people don't may necessarily know is understand is there are a bunch of workers who were carved out and then there are workers who did not get 
um, enough of an increase, you know, the same increase that other workers got. And so we're really trying to fix these things with this ordinance to say everybody in. It doesn't make sense to have um, improve the lives of some working conditions for some set of workers, but not for others and to leave others behind. And so our, our um, campaign is to get $15 um, and that would include eliminating the tipped wage for that exists for restaurant workers. So again, tipped workers, folks who work in the restaurant industry and other industries um, do not get, they have a sub minimum wage. They do not have the same minimum wage as other workers. And so the idea is that there should be one fair wage. Right. And there should be, um, again, all work is equal. Um, but also to really address, uh, and then Nataki can definitely talk more about this, but the embedded racism and sexism within tipped worker, the, you know, tipped worker wages and the fact that women of color get less pay and get less tips than um, white male servers or workers do. And so um, this art ordinance is to, like, say, look, everyone should be able to get um, a $15 wage. The Pritzker, of course, has introduced, has passed and, you know, and signed into law legislation for $15, but that doesn't get to $15 in Chicago or until the, anywhere in the state until 2025. So that would mean that Chicago workers would not have, you know, have an increase in weight, you know, in their salary for years and years and years. And we, and that actually, um, we waiting for downstate workers to, um, to start to get their increases when we know the cost of living increase, the cost of living in Chicago is incredibly high and there's no need for Chicago workers to have to wait that we should get to $15. Um, and that's what we're trying to do right now. So would, uh, what year do you hope to get the $15 an hour in 2021, 20, two years, 20, two years so now. go, go so, up to 14 next year and then 15 by 2021. And, and so the, what do you make of, the general argument that the restaurants put for well uh waitresses or waiters get tips so they're already making more than 15 dollars an hour and uh, you're just asking for more you're going to take away from us and we won't be able to operate that's the general argument either one of you to address that one um so you just came from california and so california right now is one of our one fair wage states um, the the sta the workers there the tip workers there in California make make way they are fifteen dollars an hour and they make way more tips. We are not saying that we don't want our tips. Our tips are you know are our gratuity for sure serving you right. California, San Francisco, the uh the way the tip workers make high tips because the 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 industry and the people are still tipping them even though they are making. Um, good wages now and so we're saying that here in Chicago which is the third largest city uh, we're saying that we can do the same thing by paying service workers um, $15, $15 an hour phasing in uh, we'll be phasing ours in until 2023 a phase in and still be able to keep our tips. Um, our tips are our gratuities and our service, but we still should be able to make a way. Oh, wait, so time out. So for uh, tip uh, employees, the, the $15 an hour would not hit until 2023. Did I get that correct? So 2021 for everybody else, 2023 for uh, waiters, waiters and waitresses service, et cetera. Because at this moment, there's such a differential that to stat, you know, to get up to, to uh, for tipped workers to get up to $15, mm -hmm. we need a little bit more time to do that. Um, but the goal is to get there. Um, and, and, you know, and to your point in terms of what the restaurant interest and their argument that tipped workers don't need um, a raise because of tips, I think what we've seen time and time again is that, um, again, the, the, 
take home pay of restaurant workers is incredibly low. So too many restaurant workers live in poverty. We, there's this mythology around the kind of tips that people make. And certainly some uh, in some restaurants and some places, workers are able to make, you know, make good tips, but that's not true across the board. Um, and the, really the system leaves people in poverty and it leaves again, you know, women of color in particular dealing with most of those issues um, because of, again, the way that racism and sexism works in terms of who gets tipped and how much they get tipped. What about uh, the issue of uh, health care? Uh, how, much, how much of the industry is covered uh, by their employees? <laughs> Doc, he's looking at me like, no one. Uh, <laughs> uh, so once again, um, I love this industry. I was brought into this industry in 1999. Um, because my own job where I was making $55,000 a year shut down versus an all steel press company over on 93rd and Woodlawn, it was a stamping press company. And so as did it close, did you say it closed in, I was laid off in 1999. It closed down in 2000. Mm. And so I was making good money. I was yeah. in a union and everything. 55,000 a year. Yeah. And I was a paint, painter de Burr. Yeah. I was making good money. And so as I've been in this industry, um, I've always relied on Medicaid and food stamps in this industry. I've never had a job or worked at a restaurant that um, paid um, full benefits with paid sick days and vacation time and health benefits it's very rare in this industry that that happens, especially now that a lot of uh, work has sh shift to uh, shift um, um, job agencies. Now, uh, so much of the rhetoric of the last mayor was all about building Chicago's tourist uh, industry up, making Chicago a destination site that people want to come to. And I had this issue with him when the hotel workers went on strike. I'm like, well, if we're doing such a great job, and he was always promoting uh, the last mayor's whose name I just can't remember at the moment, the hockey. Uh, he was always promoting uh, his efforts to build uh, the number of, of tourists that come to town and showing and proving that by showing the number of hotels stays in hotels are going up etc cetera, etc cetera. uh what you're telling me is something i we we probably all know and look the other way is that it really is another example of a tale of two cities here where you have a flourishing industry for tourists uh, for people like maybe own the restaurant or own the hotel absolutely. but the people who work there are not getting the benefits of this is that correct absolutely because you as i said you can work down in the gold coast and you can make 625 but your tips are going to be like 300 200 this is true the further you go into the city north you go but when we come back into the south side the applebee's the um, the IHOPs, the Olive Gardens, there, there's no way you're going as a waiter, you're going to make 200 something dollars a night because nothing on the menu costs that much. And so you will find yourself making $6 and 25 cents an hour trying to make up the tip in the wage. And if it's a slow night, you might not make that. So the onus is left up to Wendy's or I mean, IHOPs or them to pay you. And that's where pretty much the wage stuff come in because now you're arguing back with the 
owner about if you should, if you could, did you make it? And so that's where you lose a lot of money. Well, this gets into the fair work week issue, which we'll Absolutely. raise that one as well. Uh, so what kind of resistance are you facing so far, Misha, uh, in these early moments of, or- of this organization? Well, we, yeah, we, so far, I mean, we, you know, we introduced and I think with had 37 aldermen sign on to the legislation, um, which is wonderful. I think that question will be, you know, what's the the campaign, the challenge will be to make sure that we hold them um, as as the opposition that we expect um, to come comes. And in particular, the restaurant industry, um, fought us really hard the last round. We know they're going to fight hard again this round. Um, And, you know, I think there's a lot of work to do to really educate the communities about the reality of tipped workers. Um, we're also working to eliminate the youth the youth wage, right? Young people get paid less than adults do um, for the same work. And, you know, many young, young people in the city of Chicago are, those wages are going to take care of their families. They're going to take care for college like tuition. They're going to take care of um, basic needs of, of, of their families. And, um, it doesn't make sense that young people are getting paid less than and are, and are exploited for their work um, because of that uh, differential f- for their age. So this really, what we're trying to do is actually lift up the stories and the realities of work of all kinds of workers in the city. And we expect that there will be, you know, tr- you know, there will be opposition to um, to many of the workers that we are trying to include, and um, you know, we'll be ready to take that on. So currently, we're not, you know, it's early in the campaign. Um, we've introduced strongly, which we're excited about, but um, the reality, the truth will be coming in to see what, what kind of pushback there is. Um, Mayor Lightfoot has come out in support um, of $15 by 2021. Now, whether she'll support again, keeping all workers in will be another, will be another thing. In other words, she hasn't come on to support uh, keeping restaurant workers uh, to tip employees, as you call them in. Yes, because our opposition is very heavy. Um, The Illinois Restaurant Association, um, the Chambers of Commerce, they always step in and get in the way of workers. And so we're so grateful that this is the best ordinance that's ever been put forth, thanks to um, the coalition and grassroots collaborative for including tip workers because actually tip workers the were black workers was the first tip workers here in Chicago on the south side of Chicago with the Pullman Porter uh, Museum and so we were the first one that actually had to fight for wages and Philip A. Randolph took this fight all the way to Washington D.C. and so now I see myself as my ancestors had to fight this fight, I have to fight this fight again. For many young women that suffer from sexual harassment also are the first jobs that they encounter are the restaurant industry jobs. And so young women from 16 to 20, 22 don't even realize when they're being sexually harassed, um, being talked to uncomfortably, um, um, being um uh, sexually harassed by their counterpart, by their manager. They're not even realizing because they're working so hard for their tips. And this is the first job and the first time that uh, many of young women and uh, that I've talked to have experienced uh, sexual harassment. And it goes unreported in this industry. So it's a lot of work to be done. And it's a lot of work to be done because it affects a lot of young black women, 
um, Latino women and um, women in um, Chicago right now. Uh, you mentioned 37 uh, aldermen. Uh, who are the sponsoring? If you said I just didn't catch it, who are the sponsoring? Sophia aldermen? King is our lead sponsor. Um, alderman Haddon, uh, Byron Sixio Lopez, um, and why am I blanking on the my new fourth? ones? Yeah, yeah, uh, the new <laughs> ones. <laughs> We've got Mark <laughs> Matten, uh, Carlos Rosa. Um, um, Michael Rodriguez, I talked to him, um, and he signed on to it. Uh, we talked to uh, Roderick Sawyer. He says he's for tip workers because his daughter is a tip worker. <laughs> okay, <laughs> We've Rod got Sawyer. strong support. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, he, and I got to give him his props because he actually started the first um, – 15 back when we tried to pass it before before well, they knocked uh, the tip workers right. out i remember exactly. that fight. they said get the tip workers out that was a that was typical rob get the tip workers out we cut a deal we don't want to get the restaurant industry mad at i just what i got just got finished saying and it's interesting now Lori lightfoot had what has she made any kind of commitment one way or the other with the tip workers or is she saying i'm exploring i think she things. needs to be educated about the history about tip workers that exist here in chicago i think she needs to know that there are restaurants like Honey Butter Fried Chicken, Demos Pizza, Sugar Bliss, especially Honey Butter Fried Chicken. They are a big supportive of us. They are, are one of our raised members. They come and testify. They are There are workers that are making um, $15 an hour and that are enjoying good work, good quality of work because they work for a good restaurant. So we do have a massive support of workers that are are here in Chicago that are there in California that are there in San Francisco get can say actually like hey this is what it's like mm -hmm. to make this type of money so I think once we have the briefings with the mayor and really let her know that Sam Toya and the Illinois Restaurant Association they have to not get in the way of workers making a better way for themselves especially with them bringing casinos and everything oh, yeah, more tip workers in. are going to be coming into Chicago that's not going to be in a union and so we're thankful for Misha and Grassroot Collaborative because we actually are non-union workers that are not being represented by the big union so we're thankful for that. Well speaking but, of which uh, Bob Ryder was in here uh, last week championing the Fair Work Week uh, legislation proposal, proposal which I don't know where it is right now in the city council uh, and how does that uh, correspond with what you're doing? I mean, I think it's a, um, you know, we're in this moment of really trying to put forward uh, multiple solutions that um, will affect, you know, that will actually mm -hmm. address key issues facing workers in the city. So um, scheduling and um, and having, um, having the ability to plan your work week to know what kind of work hours you're going to get is all really critical for worker wages are another piece. Like these are all kind of, you know, addressing some of the, the challenges that low wage workers in particular have been experiencing for some time. So I think these are, these are both measures that will make Chicago be the place where workers want to be. And I think that's a real important story to tell because you're, we're going to hear from the employer side about how bad this is for business and, but the reality is actually people workers are going to be fighting to come into into the city of Chicago. If you have the if you have actually more ability to understand what your schedule is going to be like, you have a guarantee of what your hours are going to look like, you have higher wages. This is the kind of climate that actually attracts uh, attracts workers. You're going to have a better stability of your workforce in those workplaces. 
all of that is better for business and better for the economy. And so both of these pieces of legislation, um, I think, really work together to address some key challenges that workers have been experiencing. And we have the, the chance in Chicago to actually make some significant significant moves forward for for working people so the fair wage uh when will that be coming up for a hearing is that has that been scheduled yet for the 15 dollars. 15 dollars. um yeah. well it hasn't been scheduled for a hearing yet um we know in august uh the city council doesn't meet so we expect uh you know we're obviously working and organizing you know in july as well and through the summer um so we'll you know we expect to have more of that happen when they come back will after be, their august uh, break. sue sedlowski garza's committee that it yes. goes through yeah it's there well yeah. that's a big change yeah. right there that's good oh, yeah. that's yeah. a huge change you yeah. know, has she been supportive of this one absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. She's been, um, she definitely has been, I mean, she's a huge champion of the, you know, and she's currently, um, you know, really trying to get fair work week, um, passed and moved through and that's what she's focusing in on. But she's, she's been, um, who we've been talking to through this whole process, um, and is going to be playing a key role in this, in this passage. Well, it is encouraging, uh, to see these kind of progressive, uh, matters getting heard, mm -hmm. not getting buried, uh, Nataki not being buried in the rules committee, not getting uh, just pushed to the side. Uh, that's been the pattern. Amisha, you and I have talked about this for so Everything long. Everything that we've worked <laughs> on. Everything. Everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to benefit our youth of Chicago because um, when you're making good money, you're going to see crime go down. You're not going to see so many young black men or young people on the street. My son actually had to come in and testify with other two other youth um, uh, workers up in Fair Work Week about what would it be like to make a good schedule, what it would it be like for a young person like him that's a father already to have a, a be able to work in a in a world where he can have the authority over his schedule, what would that look like? No, it's a crazy. That it's schedule crazy. thing is out of its mind. It's we crazy. had one writer on it. I agree with him 100% <laughs> on that one. It's absolutely crazy. Somebody shows up to work and is told, no, we don't need you today. It's Go crazy. home. Well, you got the babysitter. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it's insane. And it really gets to the larger issue. Uh, and Amisha and I talked about this many times. Chicago, like the tale of two cities in this in, in this town, where there's one town that's flourishing, people doing really well, and then there's, a, I think, the larger parts of the city that's not doing well, and it's just sort of like pushing people out of Chicago. That's kind of how they try to solve the problem of poverty in the city of Chicago. And uh, I think it's encouraging to see like these, these citywide initiatives to try to address that in a meaningful way by giving working people more money. Yeah. Yeah, and especially the LBGTQ community because most of my friends are tip workers. I can talk to hundreds and hundreds of my friends that they are started in the service industry. They work in this industry, but this industry hasn't showed that they care about workers. And so from the LBGT community, from Little Village community, from Inglewood community, from Chatham community, from Park Manor community, I've lived in this city 46 years. I've worked nowhere else but in Chicago. And let me tell you, I have a lot of colleagues and friends that because this industry doesn't pay the equal amount of wages that that it deserves a lot of my friends including myself almost been homeless this is a cause the root of homelessness um evictions um people losing their cars um red light tickets we are a service industry of workers that would like to pay our work red light tickets 
don't want to be evicted, you know, like to pay your rent on time, but you have to work um, two jobs because the service industry doesn't allow you to have uh, 40 hours a week, like as a regular job with a good package. So we want respect in this industry. And so bringing um, $15 an hour, phasing it in and standing up to the Illinois Restaurant Association, about getting in the way of young women that's in this industry that deserves this money to be made in this industry um, is wrong, and we have to stand up for that. All right, very good. And I have to tell you this. Yes, indeed, I did uh, just return from visiting my daughter in California, yes. and I got home today. I took the red eye in, uh, and Nataki, I have to tell you, the first, I'm not making this up. The first thing I saw when I got on my block was the city towing a car. I was like... Back home, in Chicago. Back home in Chicago. No, excuse me. One person was writing the ticket on another car and another car. city, man. I'm going back to California. Uh, but high I'm wages sure and high tips. Uh, high wages and high By the way, California is no joke. It's the, the, That's a whole. It's not Nirvana in California. The cost of housing in California is outrageous. Uh, but that's a, a subject for another time. Nataki Rhodes in the studio with me. Amisha Patel in the studio. When we come back, I'm going to ask Amisha Patel to give us an update date on Lincoln Yards and also get their thoughts on these upcoming presidential debates. What should progressives be looking for from the Democrats running for president? We'll be right back. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. It's a thrift shop, but it's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky show. So if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you and go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at Green Element Resale. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. Our friends at the Chicago Sun-Times are offering you, yeah, you, our listeners, an exclusive deal on unlimited digital access to all of the stories you love. Unlock every feature video and podcast, just like this show, The Ben Jarofsky Show, by signing up now for a digital subscription. For a limited time only, you can lock in our lowest rate yet, only $29.99 for a full year of all the news that you need to know. Stay up to date on breaking stories, get the deep dives and investigations from Sun-Times or Reporters, cheer for the big games with the best sports team in the city and go deep inside City Hall with best in-class political reporting from 
Ran the Woolman Spielman and other reporters. $29.99 for a full year of unlimited access. You can't really do better than that. Take advantage of this exclusive deal now at suntimes.com forward slash Ben. Oh, wait, hold on. Let me play the song here. Hang tight. And we're about to come. There we go. <laughs> Forgot the song. Can't forget the song. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right. We're coming in on another super cool show, as that song says. And by the way, that uh, Nataki Rhodes, not only is she a great organizer, not only is she a great waitress, not only is she can make, mix one hell of a drink as a bartender, yeah. that's her playing the piano, all right? Wow. <laughs> Nataki Rhodes can do it all, all right? Kept that piano bit. <laughs> Went all the way to I California. went to California and kept the piano bit. All right, Nataki. Right, by the way, before I forget, I've just got to get this straight. Where can people get in touch with you if they want to uh, find more information about uh, your campaign uh, for tip workers uh, or if they want to join up or if they're tip workers or yes. form a union? How about that? Yes. There's a radical and this, uh, Yeah, that's, that's, that will be our next move um, to make us stronger and to make sure that we have power and to make sure that we're represented throughout the community. Um, you can follow me at Nataki Rock. At on Facebook, and you can um, email me at nataki at rockunited.org. Gotcha. And we'll put that on our uh, Facebook wall as well, get that information out. Uh, Amisha Patel, I uh, need an update on Lincoln Yards. The last time you were here in the studio, the mystery guest was a lawyer uh, who is uh, leading the fight uh, to uh, upend the Lincoln Yards TIF handout. I think, boy, that's a lot of money that could go to some uh, uh, waitresses. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just, I'm just thinking of waitresses yeah. and bartenders. Yeah. Southside could definitely use a little West of that money. Uh, $1.3 billion for uh, Lincoln Yards. So uh, what's the latest on the Lincoln Yards lawsuit? Yeah, we last week filed an injunction. So um, what that basically means is we um, are working to stop any single payments from the city of Chicago um, that is in that TIF redevelopment agreement with Lincoln Yards. So, um, to win an injunction, part of the thing you have to do is actually prove that you have probable um, cause that you could win. And so I think we have done that um, in laying out how uh, the city has violated the but for clause in the, um, in the TIF statute, which basically says that the TIF de the, the actual development would not happen but for the TIF, TIF subsidy. And Clearly, they haven't done that. That that land is going to develop no matter what. It has got one of the primest, primest is that a word? Primest uh, real <laughs> estate property um, in the state, if not even you know, kind of up there in the country. It is um, the part of the whitest, wealthiest parts of the city of Chicago. Um, so we lay out our lawyers help us lay out the argument for why the injunction um, should hold and why um, there, the city should not move forward with the TIF. No. Redevelopment uh -huh. agreement. So we're trying to hold up the $1.3 billion from being actually a single dollar of that being moved out to Lincoln Yards. And how has the city responded? This is they have not responded yet. Um, so I 
can't remember the time, the window of time that they have to respond, but they have not responded. Um, they were supposed to respond to our original um, lawsuit yeah. uh, by last week, Monday, and they asked for an extension, which they, I guess they have the right to do. So, so the response was to ask for an that, extension. That's all, and then, yes, that's that's the only, if you call that a response, um, but certainly nothing um, for the injunction itself either. But we're moving. We're moving it, forward. Um, it is ridiculous that this money might get moved out to Sterling Bay and for this particular development. So we're doing everything we can to fight it. All right. I'm following that one. You know, yeah, I thought that uh, their response was to say, oh, we don't know what to do. We're going to punt and uh, try to figure this thing out. Pretty much. And they're gonna, But sooner or later, they will have to uh, take a stance on this because you're asking for an injunction. Uh, then that means that the not a nickel could go to Sterling Bay. Well, I don't know what that impact that would have on the entire project uh, uh, itself, because my guess is, is that they're borrowing money against the promise that they're going to get the public dollars That's to right. pay back the loans. Yep. So if you get an injunction saying they can't get the public dollars that suspended it, that could curtail their ability to borrow money. Um, yeah, I mean, I think our argument is that they've got the the resources there to do that development without the public dollars. But that is the, you know, we are working to try to say, you know, again, to say that this isn't where public dollars should be spent I, and it's in violation of I the law. I think your argument falls under the, it falls under the category of this. Uh, that is not my problem. That's right. <laughs> you should Patel argument. Sorry, not my problem. Uh, and all right, now let's talk some national politics. I know we're going to be talking Lincoln Yards the next time you come on because probably, uh, that will emerge some uh, a response from the city will at least emerge by that. Let's talk national politics. As you heard when I was talking to Miles when you guys came into the studio uh, tomorrow and Thursday are the first debates, the national presidential debates. There's 25 candidates running. I'm not going to give you a trivia. Like the mayor con- race. My, like the mayor race. <laughs> War actually. We had only had 14 for the mayor's race. Uh, I'm not going to give you a trivia contest here. Uh, Nataki to ask you all the candidates, uh, but we were talking briefly off the mic and you were sort of expressing your opinions. Uh, going into this race, who is there, are there any that, that, that really speak to you, that speak to the issues that you've been championing, that talk about uh, you know, dealing with income inequities in this country? Um, absolutely. Well, I would definitely have to say um, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Camilla Harris uh, a little bit. Bernie Sanders, why? Because he actually um, is definitely to uh, introduce, he helped us introduce uh, a $15 hour raise uh, the wage on the federal level. And so we had 15 legislators to sign on on the federal level to move uh Fifteen dollars an hour from two thirteen on a federal level for tip workers, and to move it to fifteen dollars an hour. So Bernie Sanders is a big champion in moving wages, working with um, low income families, helping them to come out of poverty. Um, Elizabeth Warren, I love her too because um, definitely women's issues is my issues and her issues. Um, so I'm watching to see. Um, it's going to be interesting. It's probably going to be more than the um, mayor race, I guess. Yeah, more of it. And Joe Biden? What are your thoughts about Joe Biden? Oh, everybody does that in this show. <laughs> everybody who comes on. <laughs> no love for Joe? Uh, well, 
Well, because the progressive, we're looking for more progressiveness. And, you know, with the health care, with them and that, with Obama and the health care and the thing. So I think we want more progressive um, to try to tackle certain issues that we thought that we were going to be able to tackle with the mm-hmm. Obama administration. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, Obama did. How do yeah. I put this? I don't want to say he wimped out. That's kind of strong, but he backed off on pushing for uh, Medicare for all or for a single payer plan. And uh, we've got, we've got this bizarre Obamacare thing uh, that is really it's it's sad to say is the, the only hope for many people in this country when it comes to health care. Uh, Amisha Patel, what's your thoughts about the upcoming debate in the presidential race? I, to me, I think the <clears throat> challenge is to. Like who's going to break through and talk about something real? And I do think there's like a couple of candidates who've put out real plans on a range of issues. And, you know, Sanders and Warren are definitely those two. Um, you know, to me, I'm, I'm going to be listening for, uh, you know, who talks about racial equity in a real way, who's actually, you know, speaking to communities of color in their, um, you know, in their plans and their understanding of the issues and how they impact people. There's a thing that I think happened when Trump got elected, which is that, you know, the Democratic Party, you know, and many people really just focused in on the like the, the key question was like, well, how are we going to get to um, to white voters? And um, I think it's really important. You know, meanwhile, the you know how black women have voted has been really critical to so many election after election. And that doesn't get you know, that's not the thing of, in the moment. It's it's like the white working class voters and. I mean, we have to look at all working class voters and all, you know, and, and voters of color. But I do think it's a really important to see who's actually going to you know, speak for the issues of of communities of color in this moment of horrific, horrific behavior by the Trump administration at the border and this moment of like, you know, rising incarceration um, that is devastating communities of color. I'm looking for someone who's going to speak on those issues and also who will take on the roots of the economic challenges in this country, which is like, let's look at Wall Street and the role that Wall Street is playing in wrecking the economy, Um, the role that Wall Street plays in private detention centers that's starting to come up. I mean, there's all these intersections of what's happening that we have to actually get to the base of. And, you know. Is there going to be a candidate who's going to, you know, there's not going to be a lot of time. I mean, there's a ton of people on the stage, not a lot of time. But I think, what do you do with your moments and who are you talking about and um, and how are you talking about them is going to really matter. And uh, your early thoughts about Joe Biden? My early, middle, and late thoughts about Joe Biden are that late. Joe needs to go. Um, that is, those are my thoughts. Oh, me, so um, hard at Joe. <laughs> Grandpa Joe, yeah. I hear yeah, you. no, I mean, just. It's yeah. I, I thought Miles said it said it well, and I don't need to say it again. But um, no, it's like no is what my thoughts are about yeah. Joe. No, but it's a, it's remarkable how far uh, the Democratic Party has moved to the left uh, in just the last ten years because Joe Biden was Barack Obama's running mate in two thousand and eight, and I never I don't don't recall hearing much discussion in the 2008 election or the 2012 re-election about uh, Joe Biden's uh, like centrist or right of center even past. I don't, I don't recall hearing about like, let's say uh, the crime bill in the nineties. I don't remember hearing anything, uh, anything remotely resembling any of that uh, in 08 or 12. He was 
Barack Obama's wingman, and as a result, a lot of Democrats. And he did. And he. And here I am defending Joe Biden, Amisha. Uh, Is that he, what you're doing? Yeah, I always yeah. defend. Come back to defending Joe Biden. It's really hard, by the way. You tried defending Joe Biden. <laughs> no, I don't need to. <laughs> Nobody needs to. You don't need to. <laughs> he did such a great job in the debate. I thought uh, against uh, okay. Sarah Palin in 2008. All right, that's my defense of Joe Biden. Does Joe Biden think you're going through a phase? I hope it's a phase. Oh, look, who else is just dumping on Joe Biden? Well, could it be too that the vice president's uh, what? Who was it? Sarah Palin for McCain, and then Paul Ryan was those people are awful you know what i mean compared to those exactly. vice presidents well let me just say this about sarah palin and we've forgotten sarah palin was trump before trump and sarah palin articulate she was the first one <laughs> and uh it was biden who had to meet her uh in that debate and i thought he did a good job about that but that debate if you go back and watch that debate i've said this many times in the show on the talkie it shows you again how far we're more of a progressive party now the democrats are so the things that biden said in that 2008 debate are just outrageous by today's standards, yes. uh, particularly on uh, gay marriage, for instance. So uh, th times have changed tremendously. I'll be watching. Will you be watching tomorrow? Yes, of course I and will. I will be watching. I right. can't help it. I'm a, I'm a junkie for that. Uh, and Amisha, anything before we let you go? Anything, uh, any other announcements you want to make? Any uh websites you want to talk about anything else yeah people can you know as always find us on grassrootscollaborative.org um the facebook email twitter um follow us and get involved and um, we really there's a ton of issues at the city there's a moment where um we can really move forward a big bold agenda and we need folks out this idea that it's just going to happen because lightfoot as mayor is completely wrong we have to work and organize we have to like hold her accountable um and we have to actually yes. move our agenda forward and in a very bold and clear way. So we we are always looking for more folks to come out and support. Um, we have a fundraiser coming up. It's a, what is it called? A, a bags and brews. Um, that thing where you throw bags bean bags into yeah. that. Like in bags. Bags, That yeah. thing, bags. Cornhole. Cornhole, right. So we're doing. <laughs> like bags, way better. We're doing this. In, uh, we have an event in July that should be fun. So people can, uh, anyway, can find us online to, to find out about that. It'll be, a, it'll be a fun event to get together and keep building support for the um, the issues that we all care about. All right, very good. Amisha Patel, Nataki Rhodes, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Miles Kampflassen was here earlier from In These Times, did a great job talking about politics, what's going on uh, state, national, uh, and local level. Uh, Leah, great job as always as our editor. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois. You know what they call him back down there? Uh, Nataki, they call him White Lightning in Alton, Illinois. Did you? <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> No one ever, oh, man, ever I called me that. <laughs> anyway, you did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. <laughs> Remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com slash Jarofsky and chicagoreader.com or wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Find us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on both Facebook and Twitter, The Ben Jarofsky Show on Instagram. Enjoy your day. <laughs> <laughs>